series, for those of you that uh, maybe haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, on the work of the Holy Spirit. And we have been talking about uh, who the Holy Spirit is, how He works in our lives, how He operates in a corporate worship service, what it looks like when He manifests Himself. Um, to manifest, I mean, we know that He's here. Because, I mean, He's present. He lives inside of us. Um, we know He's here, but... He shows himself in different ways. He shows himself through the gifts of the Spirit that we talked about a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He shows himself in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in my life, love, joy, peace, patience, that manifests the Holy Spirit. How do people know the Holy Spirit lives inside of us? Because we we shout, because we smile, No, because of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did I get them all? That's how they know, because it's manifesting the Spirit. Because a gift of healing or a word of knowledge, when you walk up to someone and say, you know, I, I just feel like the Lord wants me to say this to you, and they begin to cry, that's the manifestation of the Spirit. They look at you and say, how did you know that? You say, well... I, that's what I felt like the Lord, that manifests the Spirit. Does that, that make sense? The first week we talked about how important it is to understand we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. Very, God, uh, the God of the universe, not the second in command, not the third in command, the very God of the universe lives inside of us. And he's revealed how he's wanted to do this throughout the scripture. In the Garden of Eden, he walked with Adam and Eve. Then he, when they sinned, he, talked, he showed it through the, the tent, the tabernacle with the people of Israel in the wilderness. He, he showed it through the temple. The presence of God came and dwelled in the temple. Then Jesus came on earth and John chapter one tells us he tabernacled among us or he dwelt among us. That means he was the house of God on earth. The very presence of God was in Jesus. He was God, but he laid aside his rights and privileges and came. And then he says, it's better for me to go so that the Holy Spirit can come and tabernacle in you. And you're gonna be the house of God and we are the house of God on earth. And so now God is everywhere we are. Okay, I know that we, we take that scripture that it takes two or three to get God there, but that's not what that means, and don't worry, we'll talk about that later. Um, God is everywhere you are if he lives inside of you by his spirit. If you have surrendered your life to Christ and you are following him, the spirit takes up residence in you, he's there. He's where you go. And so the very house of God is there. Last week, we talked about the priority of love. When the Holy Spirit manifests himself, the priority of his manifestation ought to be love because he is love. Not he loves, he is love. Because John tells us that God is love. And the Holy Spirit is God. So uh, if you're good at analogies, if God is love and the Holy Spirit is God, then the analogy is the Holy Spirit is love. Were you good on your SATs when you took them? That's an analogy. And so that's what we we talked about and unpacked last week. And when he manifests himself, love ought to be the expression or it ought to surround everything that manifests. Whether that's the gifts of the Spirit operating in our services or in our lives, whether it's the fruit of the Spirit, it all ought to be that. And we talked about how love actually causes us to pursue the gifts. If we, if we claim to love people, 
Jesus taught you ought to wait for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He told that to his disciples. Peter told us on the heels of that when they were baptized that the Holy Spirit that they're just now watching is going to be for everyone who's afar off. All those people are going to dream dreams. They're going to see visions. They're going to prophesy. All my sons and daughters who are far off are going to do that. And Paul says pursue love and eagerly desire the greater gifts. Those are two commands that he gives us because love and the gifts work together to draw unbelievers to Christ and encourage the body of Christ. How encouraging to know today that God wants us to come near to him. He's like, well, I already knew that. Yeah, but it's an expression. It's a reminder to us. God is wanting us to draw near to him. And that's what the words of the Spirit or the prophetic word is all about. And so today, we're going to talk about freedom and restraint. Freedom and restraint. The weeks following this and the weeks before this are all kind of pieces in a puzzle. And if you hear the the message today, you may not fully get what I'm saying apart from the other two. And so uh, on our website, there are links to the other messages. And so if you put all of them together, they're a conversation that we're having about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit operates. And so when we talk about freedom, and that's what we're gonna talk about today, freedom. Freedom is a word we hear a lot because we live in a free nation. America has been synonymous, has always been synonymous with freedom. Let freedom ring. That's who we are. That's our country. And even in a day when our flaws as a nation are on display worldwide, even in a day when all of that is kind of coming to the surface and our brand, if you will, as America suffers around the world, millions of immigrants are still flocking to our shores. Millions of people around the world are dreaming about coming here. Why? Freedom. They want freedom. And most of the world looks at us as a privileged nation because we're free. And we take freedom for granted because it's all we've ever known, most of us. And we don't fully appreciate it or understand it, especially if you've never been in any other country, and Canada doesn't count, uh, if you've never been in any other country around the world, you don't fully appreciate what freedom is. And I know that we talk about that our, our rights and our freedoms are being infringed on in this country. We have no idea. Freedom for most of the world is a dream that they can't even comprehend. If I was preaching this message today in a a third world country or in a communist country or in 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 an Islamic country and I talked about freedom, it wouldn't connect. They don't know freedom. They only dream about the freedom that you and I have. And now the foundation of this free nation roots itself in the precepts of the word of God. And I know that our society is trying to distance itself from that history. It's trying to separate itself from those root systems. And so, and by the way, it only happens if we allow it to happen. So let's stop ranting about it and just start praying for God to change the hearts of people in our nation to see and understand again why and how we were founded. Okay, don't be a fatalist, be a prayer person. How's that sound? So we're trying to, many people are trying to rewrite history, but we cannot have true freedom without the precepts found in the word of God. 
Our founding fathers understood that, and we're going to talk about some of the things they quoted here in just a second. And some of you are like, hey, did I just step into a government class or world history? Well, I mean, what are we doing? We're, get, we're building a foundation. We're going to get there. Don't worry. So as we talk about this, I want us to understand there's nothing wrong with being patriotic. There's nothing wrong with loving this country. There's nothing wrong with being grateful to the men and women who served our country. There's nothing wrong with that in any way. But we don't give allegiance to our country first. We give allegiance to our Lord first. I'm a citizen of this country, but I'm a citizen of another place first. Okay? And so we don't worship a flag. We don't worship a nation. We worship the Lord. And he supersedes our nation. Okay? But that doesn't mean we, can, we don't have to be patriotic. So when we look at freedom, what is it? What is freedom? In a minute, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And so if you want to jump there now, you can. But the de- dictionary definition of freedom is this. The power to write or act or speak or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. The power to write or act or speak or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Does freedom really mean I have the right to do whatever I want to do anytime I want to do it? That doesn't seem like an appropriate definition of freedom. In fact, our founding fathers were quoted as saying there's no true freedom without responsibility. Uh, Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and John Hancock and Noah Webster and many of the founding fathers of our nation quoted things like like this and in their writings these concepts were just in the things that they talked about and so as they were establishing a free democracy a free nation here on earth they believed that there could not be true freedom if it didn't have responsibility they also believed freedom without restraint leads to chaos I want you to think for a moment what it would look like at school if there was no restraint what would it look like in your workplace if there was no restraint, if, if it was just free? Everybody did whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted to do it. Anybody can write, act, speak as you want without hindrance. And that's not freedom. That's chaos. And in a free nation, that doesn't happen. What would our mall look like? What would our parks look like? What would our highways look like? If everyone just did what they wanted when they wanted So our founding fathers establishing this free democracy understood these concepts. They also believed there is no freedom without law. Now, you might look at that and think that seems contradictory. How, if I'm free, how can there be law? But there can't be freedom without law. Rules are necessary in a free society. And now we might disagree what those laws should be. We might think that those laws sometimes are infringing upon our freedom, but there has to be an agreed upon system. There has to be agreed upon laws. There has to be an agreed upon structure if there's going to be true freedom. Now, that structure, those laws may not be perfect. America's not perfect. We're flawed. This system that we have isn't perfect, but there has to be an agreed upon system and structure that we abide by. We call it the Constitution. If not, there's just chaos. Nobody wants to live in a place of anarchy. We all want laws. We welcome that. And so let's take that understanding of this free nation and apply it to the church. 
Because I believe that the same principles that govern our free society can govern our worship gathering as we talk about the Holy Spirit. As we've talked about the Holy Spirit over the last several weeks and we've talked about the freedom of expression that has come because of the Holy Spirit in our lives, let me review that for just a bit or kind of unpack it in a different way, if you will. Many people came into the Assemblies of God or Pentecostal denominations and they came out of churches that were very rigid, very dry. In th- this is in their words, not my words. They were just kind of stale. They were silent. And along the way, they had a genuine experience with the Holy Spirit that brought freshness, newness to everything. As they read the word, it became new to them. There was an excitement that had never been there. Some of us who grew up in Pentecostal churches, we don't understand that for the same reason that when we grow grow up in America, we don't understand freedom. We don't understand what it's like on the other side. And so we don't appreciate what we have until it's not there. Other people have been steeped in, in crazy amounts of sin they've been addicted to drugs or alcohol or sex and they've been beaten they've been abused they've had everything this world has to offer they've hit rock bottom and they have found Christ and he has transformed their lives and those people that have come out of these dead dry stale silent churches and these people who have hit rock bottom and found Christ have an exuberance and a passion and they've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and it has brought freshness and and life to them that they did not know could be there and so it explains why they can be a little exuberant in their worship of the Lord this is what happened in the early 1900s at the start of our movement people came out of these traditional types of churches and it it explains why they began to be so exuberant but in their exuberance they took the pendulum clear to the other side and now spiritual chaos at times ensues we've got to have restraint we've got to have uh, this responsibility we've got to have this structure if you will so that our freedom doesn't turn into chaos but that our freedom is true spiritual freedom anytime growing up i mean i grew up in a pentecostal church and i've seen it all i've seen uh, weird stuff, crazy stuff, genuine stuff. I mean, I, I've seen it all. Uh, well, okay, I haven't seen it all, but I've seen a lot. <laughs> and anytime someone would get up and begin to talk about structure, or, you know, we have to, uh, the Holy Spirit has to move within these boundaries, um, someone inevitably in their exuberance on this side of the pendulum would get up and say, no, no, brother, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Woo! And then the church would break out into, woo! Woo! And there'd be all kinds of craziness. And that sounds great. Except that's not what Paul's talking about when he says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and see what Paul says and see if we're allowed to have spiritual chaos. Now, here's the thing. I believe, and we're going to put this into perspective here, but I believe that if you're in a prayer gathering with all Pentecostal believers and you want to jump, shout, yell, 
go into a trance, roll on the ground, do whatever. And they're all Pentecostal believers. Go! Have at it! But if an unbeliever or someone who doesn't understand comes into our gathering like we talked about last week, love doesn't just have at it. Restraint steps in so that the unbeliever can be drawn to the cross and so that everyone in that body can be encouraged. Not freaked out. Encouraged. Now, some people say, well, people are freaked out by the raising of hands. Well, yeah, they are a little bit, but generally we all do that. We're talking about one or two just in their exuberance, and I'm not saying they're sinful. They're just exuberant. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, we got to be mature about this and restrain ourselves for the sake of those around us. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, because I do not believe that structure and the supernatural are enemies. I believe they can work hand in hand. Let's look at what Paul says. We're going to start in verse number 7. The old way, when he says that, this is the New Living Translation. He, your version may say the old covenant or the old system. Um, that's what we're talking about. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God even though the brightness was already fading away. Paul is comparing the old covenant with the new. The Old Testament with the new. The old covenant was given by God to Moses. It was etched in stone tablets and it governed everything under the old covenant or in the Old Testament. He's comparing that with the new covenant which has been institute, instituted by the death of Jesus Christ which is made alive in us by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's a comparison of the old and the new covenant. The old covenant was not a glorious covenant Okay, the old covenant was a very restrictive covenant. But what he says right here is even this restrictive old covenant began with such glory that the people couldn't look at Moses' face because Moses' face was so bright. That's what he says. The old covenant was like that. So verse 8, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Here's the thing. Under the old covenant, no sin was ever forgiven. It was never forgiven. There was no real freedom. Every year, you brought an animal. Every time you sinned, you brought an animal. And blood was taken to the holy place. If God accepted the sacrifice, your sins were rolled back. Why did they have to do this every year? Why did they have to offer blood for the sins of the people every year? Because the sins weren't done away with. It would just, it stayed God judged, God's judgment for one year. It rolled it back for one more year. Okay? So nobody ever walked away from the tent feeling free. They walked away from the tent feeling guilt, feeling condemnation, feeling like this is an impossible standard, feeling very cumbersome. 
That's the old way. And Paul says, even under this old way, etched in stone, there was a manifestation of the glory of God. But now we're under a new covenant instituted by grace. We're no longer taking a spotless lamb every year to the temple. Thank you, Jesus. We're taking the spotless lamb who was once and for all, his blood was shed for us. And his, his blood doesn't roll back our sins. It removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. The new covenant is freedom, it's grace, it's love. And that's what Paul is comparing here. The veil that had separated us from God has been torn and we now can walk into the very presence of God. And so Paul says, if there was any glory in the old way, how much more glory is in this new way? And when you finally get that, it ought to do something to you. I mean, I don't, I don't care if you're German or not. I mean, if the most excited you can get is, Woo, then it ought to do that to you. When you fully understand what God has done. I mean, this is more exciting than NCAA basketball. This is more exciting than the NFL. This is more exciting than Cole's discounts. This is a new life-giving way. And if it's okay for people to wake up, actually, if it's okay for people never to go to bed on Thanksgiving so they can get a deal, if it's okay for people to paint their faces and their chest and not wear a shirt in 30 below weather in Green Bay, then it's probably okay for us to get just a little excited about this new covenant. Does that make sense? There's freedom in this. Verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away, but the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds and they cannot understand the truth. This veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. So he's referring to the Jews who under the old covenant uh, still believe that way. And there's literally a veil that covers their eyes and they can't see this new covenant. I think there are people that sit in our pews in this country week after week after week claiming to follow Jesus, but there's a veil. They don't see the new covenant. They have yet to see the new life-giving way. There's a veil that is covering their eyes. They go to church, but they have not surrendered to Christ and accepted his new life-giving way. And because of it, there's no freedom. There's no expression. There's no joy. There's no life-giving way. So even today, when the, they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil. They don't understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. That's good news. Paul compares this covenant of law 
and this covenant of grace by the Spirit. And now that the Spirit has come, he says there's freedom. There's freedom from condemnation. There's freedom from the cumbersomeness of it all. There's freedom from guilt. There's freedom from worry. There's freedom from sin. There's freedom from my past. I am free. So this comparison of the new covenants, Paul even says, the first covenant, it even has no glory when you compare it to the glory of this new one. I mean, remember this covenant? Lightning, earthquakes, shouting from the mountaintop, uh, people very afraid, stepping back. That's pretty glorious. But Paul says that's nothing, nothing compared to the glory of this new covenant. When people begin to understand that, when they get it, when they taste freedom, we can't help but be passionate in our worship. We can't help but be passionate about what he's done for us. We can't help but talk about it, think about it, sing about it, and sometimes dance, shout, or jump about it because of what we have found it's hard to sit still when the spirit of the lord has set you free that's why there's a passion in our preaching there's a passion in our worship that maybe not be it may not be in every church i don't want to sit in judgment on any other church but i want to tell you something when you understand the freedom we have in him it just does something or it should now that spiritual freedom does not give me the right to act in a way that's contrary to the common good in a public worship setting. Paul does not say there's freedom in the Spirit, so trample on the freedoms of others. Does he? In fact, he's not even talking about spiritual gifts in this passage at all. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 that we've talked about, the manifestation of the Spirit given for the common good so that the unbeliever is drawn to Christ, so that everyone in the body is encouraged, that's still the structure of this corporate worship gathering. And when one of us or a few of us take the volume or the manner of worship to a level that detracts from our worship of God and puts it on me or on us, that's an error. That's what he says. When we respond to the Spirit of God outside of the common good, it's an error. Is it a sin? It's an error. It's an immature, if you will, reaction to the Holy Spirit. We can move according to the Spirit and do what is for the the common good. We've got to channel all this excitement, all this exuberance, and put it in a way that's easy for people to receive. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Does that make sense? If I'm around other Christians that don't believe in the gifts of the spirit operating today, I can take all of that exuberance and funnel it in in a way that can encourage all of us. You know, I've heard people at times, you know, they walk away from a gathering of all believers and then they just have to start speaking in tongues and they're like, oh, I just couldn't hold it in any longer. We can learn to channel the gifts of the Spirit in our lives in a way that people can receive them 
without it being weird or crazy. Sometimes I've, I've watched in services people go into these trance-like modes. And they give a word from the Lord and then they collapse. And yet I never see that expression in the body of Christ. Because the only time someone went into a trance was Peter and he was by himself. And so if you need to go into a trance-like state by yourself, go. If you're with other intercessors, what I found about intercessors is they have a connection with God, but sometimes they're a little weird. And that's okay. If you're all in that boat together, bless the Lord. But if we do that in a service where there's an unbeliever, or we do that in a service where there are people that don't fully understand, they're not encouraged, and they're not drawn to the cross. And that's got to be the focal point. There's a way to use the gifts of the Spirit that don't have to freak people out. There's a way to use the gifts of the Spirit that you can minister to people that don't even believe in them. Yeah. People may not even believe the gifts operate still today, and you can, in the power of the Holy Spirit, minister to them through the gifts without offending them. You may make them scratch their head as they walk away. Does that mean, that's what I want. I hope that's what you want. And the motivation of that is love. The objective is building up the body of Christ. You see, when we come into the body of Christ, we enter into a relationship with one another. The body of Christ is not about choosing your flavor of church. It's not about, you know, I like the way this church does this or that church does that, so I'm going to attend that church. Church is not about a building. It's not about a service. It's about a group of people. When you enter into the body of Christ, when you connect to a local body of believers, you enter into relationship with them. That's the New Testament church. That's what we're talking about. That's foreign to us in America. We just want a place to go and sit and ease our conscience or maybe do our duty for the Lord, but God calls us into relationship with each other. Now, anytime you enter into relationship with other human beings, you surrender rights. You, you just do. When we enter into a marriage covenant, you give up rights. And we want to do it. It's not like someone put a gun to our head and said, you know, you're going to marry this person. In some countries of the world where there's not freedom, that happens. But we have freedom. You're free to choose. You can marry or not marry. You can choose who you're going to marry. But if you sign up for marriage, what you're saying is, I'm willing to lay down some of my rights as a single person to join in with this other person. When you decide to have kids, by the way, if you choose to have sex, you are making a choice to have a child, whether you plan on it or not. Okay, our culture forgets that. So when you choose to have a child... You are choosing to lay down rights. You are choosing to lay down the right to a good night's sleep. You are choosing to lay down the right to be perpetually on time for stuff because the blowouts and the pukes happen right when you're ready to leave. You're surrendering rights. And who doesn't want to? I mean, look at our kids. I was just sitting here today watching Kedrick and I just thought, I like him. I did, I just got overwhelmed. I, just, I, like, I almost took his picture, but I thought that'd be a little over the top. We, we want that as parents. We don't, I mean, sometimes we complain about it, and we should stop doing that as parents. We want our kids. That's why we sign up for the ride, okay? When you enter into the homeowners association, 
We don't have a lot of them around here, praise the Lord, but you surrender rights. You gotta keep your grass a certain way. You gotta do it. And no one's forcing you to live there. You choose it. Now, somewhere along the line, you may regret giving up those rights, but you did. And when we enter into the body of Christ, when we choose to come to a worship service together, we gotta give up some of our freedoms of expression for the good of the body of Christ. When we have a a corporate worship service, I pray in tongues all the time, but none of you hear me. Because if I get to a volume when I'm praying in tongues that's loud enough for you to hear me, I expect that's gonna be interpreted. If I don't expect it to be interpreted, I keep the volume where nobody hears it. Some of you have expressed to me, you know, well, I, I feel like I want to pray in the Spirit in my seat. And we're going to talk about tongues and, and praying in the Spirit next week. But I, I feel like I want to do that, but I don't want anyone else around me to hear me. Let me let you in on a little secret. They don't hear you here. I mean, if you, if you want, you could do that. And why do I pick the front row? Because I'm the pastor? No, because I can do what I want up here and it doesn't affect anyone else. And generally, the people that are up here are okay if they hear me speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. It ain't going to weird anybody out. Sometimes when I pray for people, I pray in English. Sometimes when I pray for people, I pray in the Spirit. And you know what the determining factor is? Whether or not I'm going to weird them out. If I pray for someone that I know is Spirit-filled and is going to be okay with that, I pray in the Spirit. If I'm praying for someone that's not going to like that, I don't do it. And the Holy Spirit isn't grieved by my choice unless I infringe on other people's rights or I don't show love to them. If I don't take into consideration how they're going to receive that ministry. Does that make sense? We need to have a heart committed to one another and committed to the outsider. I believe the gifts of the Spirit ought to operate regularly, not just in our worship services, but in our lives. And we have got to get to a place where that is the natural flow of our lives. So freedom and structure. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, here's where Paul says it. We're going to hit this for just a minute, and we're going to really unpack this over the next two weeks. Brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing Another will teach, another will tell special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said, but everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues, they must speak one at a time, someone must interpret what they say, but if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Let two or three people prophesy, let the others evaluate what is said, but if someone is prophesying, another person receives revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember, the people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. So what Paul does is he sets up a local eldership, pastors, deacons, leaders within the church that structure the gatherings of the people. And they structure the teachings. They structure the songs, the prepared stuff, if you will. People come to church with prepared stuff. 
the leaders have got to structure the service so that the prepared stuff has a place. There's going to be impromptu stuff, special revelation, prophetic words, gifts of tongues and interpretation, gifts of healing. And the, the leaders of those church have to also help set the parameters and the structure for those to take place. There has to be order and guidelines to the moving of the Holy Spirit. When Paul says two or three at most, I don't think that that's a law. And we're going to unpack that in the next two weeks. I don't think Paul is saying if the fourth person speaks, they're out of order. Shut them down. I don't think that's what it means. I think what Paul is laying out here is a church where there's spiritual chaos and Paul's walking in and saying, hey, Let's bring some order so that everyone gets to benefit from this service and unbelievers who come in are drawn to the cross. Have you looked around lately and noticed that some people are completely disengaged? Some people are not, the outsiders are coming in and they're leaving saying, you guys are crazy? That's what Paul's saying to them. Fix this. Let's do this in a way that respects the other people. And so the practical teaching comes in. When do we speak up? And we talked about this several weeks ago when I said, you know, if you give a message or a prophetic word, you, know, you have to be able to give it loud enough for people to hear. If you can't, you need to come to a microphone. You need to come to one of us. If your voice doesn't carry or, listen, if you have to scream in such a way that your voice is like shrilly and piercing, use a microphone. It's okay. It doesn't quench the spirit. Mark, God bless him, has a voice that just carries. So he can, when the, when the keyboard player, and there's a moment where you, Mark can speak out and a word, we can all hear it. He doesn't have to come to the mic. Now, if Allison's up here and she's playing along and, the, and, and Mark, in the middle of her song, starts speaking, he's out of order. Because wait till the song is done there's a moment you can speak, you can move, you can act. Now, if you're sitting in your pew and the moment you feel like, God, man, I feel like God wants to heal someone today. I feel like God wants to share this word today. I feel like God wants to do this or this or this. The, the pastoral staff, we sit up here, you come in the middle of the song, you say, hey, this is a word I got. What do you think? Do you think I should share it? Do you think I should not share it? And you let us help you decide. And then when there's a moment, we give you the mic, boom. Everyone hears it and everyone gets edified. I'm going to pick on Mark for a minute. Because a lot of weeks, he'll come to me after service and say, man, I had a word that really lined up with that. I felt like God wanted me to give it. I say, why didn't you? Thank you for doing it. I don't say, why didn't you? Because I'm mad at him. Because that encourages and edifies the entire body. So if you're sitting here today, I felt like someone else had a word today. And I was going to ask for it, but I didn't. Maybe I should have. But don't be afraid. When we don't have these, these structures or these guidelines or these parameters where we say, here's the appropriate time to talk, or, you know, you have to keep in mind your tone. You have, don't, some of us, when we get excited, it sounds like we're mad at the world. I'm one of them, all right? I really have to pay attention. Why is that guy screaming up there when he's preaching at us? I'm, I want to be passionate, but I don't want to sound angry, okay? Because God's not angry. He's passionate, but he's not angry, and so if you're sounding angry, use a mic so you don't have to sound angry. Because tone matters. We don't want the, the, the gift of the Spirit to be messed up by the body, if you will. 
And so there's a way that we put these things into practice. And some people look at that and say, well, that's too restrictive. And other people look at it and say, man, that's very freeing. Because if there's no parameters, you know what happens? Chaos. Chaos. Everybody just doing their own thing. There has to be structure. There has to be leadership. There has to be order to this thing. So there's not chaos. You know what else there would be without structure? There'd be fear. There'd be fear and no one would move. Should I? Shouldn't I? Am I in order? Out of order? And so by telling you, you know what? If you don't know, please come and ask us. Well, if people come up and and, uh, see me ask and then... Don't worry about it. And here's the thing. Sometimes one of us as pastors will tell you, "Mm, I I don't know that that's the word of the Lord for today. That might be wrong. We might have got it wrong. You might have been absolutely right, and we should have let you share. But at the, we, we got to decide on the fly. We got to just trust that the Holy Spirit's going to lead us, and we're not going to go home and beat ourselves up that we didn't let you share, and we don't want you to go home and beat yourself up that we didn't let you share. Does that make sense? But if we're going to have a church where the gifts of the Spirit operate in power and lives are transformed, the body is built up, and people are drawn to the cross, we've got to figure out a way to structure this and start allowing the Spirit to move. I want to be a Spirit-filled, supernatural church. I want to be a church where love reigns. I want to be a church where supernatural activity is normal, where believers are encouraged, where unbelievers run to the cross, and where the, the moving of the Holy Spirit is not chaotic and weird, but is genuine and powerful. And I think it's possible. It's in the book of Acts. And I believe it's possible for us today. One of the things over these last couple weeks that we have not done is give you opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit. And I want to do that today. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. And they're going to be leading us in just a moment in a song that talks about, uh, that's called literally Freedom Reigns. Freedom Reigns in this place. We talked about the glory of the old covenant versus the new. Under the new covenant, freedom reigns. There is freedom from sickness. There is freedom from addiction. There is freedom from sin. There is freedom from fear. There's freedom from anxiety. And so what we want to do is just give you a chance to respond today to receive freedom. If you're in bondage, if you're in bondage to addiction, if you're in bondage to sin, if you're in bondage to anxiety, you're in bondage to fear, you can find freedom through the life-giving way. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so I want to invite you to stand with me. Whatever you need today to be free from, Jesus makes you free. If you're here today and you have grown up in a church where the gifts of the Spirit were not uh, operating, where you were taught that they didn't even happen anymore today, as we talked about last week, we believe the Bible shows that they do happen today. That when Paul's talking in 1 Corinthians 13, he's pointing to the return of Jesus, not to the time when the apostles died off. So those gifts operate today. And maybe you're just bound up in fear. There can be freedom from that fear.
And we want to pray for you to be released from that fear. We want to pray for you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit today. You say, well, Pastor Tom, you haven't fully explained what all that is today. You know what? Jesus didn't explain it to the the apostles too. How'd they get it? You can receive without me taking the time to tell you all about it. Just say, Lord, I want to be filled with your spirit. I don't even understand it all right now, God, but I want to, I'm so afraid, God. I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake. I'm afraid that I'm going to do it wrong. I'm afraid it's a sin. I'm afraid. Just be honest and let freedom reign. Most of the time, freedom doesn't reign because we don't ask for it or we don't, we're not honest. And so I'm going to invite our prayer team to come. And they're going to be here in the front. If you want to pray at this altar by yourself, we invite you to do that. You can come, kneel, find a place of prayer. If you want to be prayed for, just come and stand. We're going to get to you. We want to pray for everyone who wants to be prayed for today. Because freedom reigns. Freedom reigns. If you need to be free, Jesus died to set you free. Father, I thank you today for the cross. I thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. This new and life-giving way that brings freedom. And Father, I pray today that we as a body, we as individuals would experience the freedom that comes from the Spirit of the Lord. God, that there would be freedom from addiction, that there would be freedom from sin, that there would be freedom from sickness, there would be freedom from fear and freedom from anxiety. God, that there would be freedom from bitterness, there would be freedom from offense, there would be freedom from hurt, there would be freedom today in this place. There would be freedom to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. There would be freedom for the fruit of the Spirit to manifest itself in our lives. Holy Spirit, bring freedom. Bring freedom. Bring freedom. Bring freedom to each and every one of us today. If you need freedom, I want you to come. Come. Find a place to kneel. Find a place to stand. We want to pray with you. You need freedom. I want you to come. You need freedom from sin. You need freedom from addiction. You need freedom from sickness. Freedom from fear. Come. There is freedom. Come.
the worship team leads us, I want you to feel free to come. We want to be here. We want to pray with you. If you need to be dismissed, please do it quietly. Say if you're visiting for out in the hallway area and allow this to be a place of prayer for those that want to take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to make the freedom available through the cross real in their lives. Thank you for being here. God bless you as you go this morning. Falling on every face